Mondays. It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes and I'll tell you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Great Mondays Radio. I'm really excited to have on today the Chief People Officer for D-Drone. Her name is Sarah Devitt, and she has a lot of experience um, in the people space, in the culture space, and I'm really excited to dig into a lot of her uh, her background and history. She actually um, headed up uh, People at Hinge as well, which is another big brand. Um, and we want to get into and learn some from experiences that she's had. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Great Mondays Radio. Thanks, Josh. I'm excited to be here. So you um, you are uh, the chief people officer at D-Drone, and um, it's a relatively new role for you. And what, give us a sense. So drones are hot. Drones mm-hmm. are a big deal. What, there's a lot of different companies, a lot of different companies in the space. What is D-Drone um, and what is your mandate? Why were you hired? What were you, what did you, what do they want from you? <laughs> okay. So, so D-Drone's uh, vision is to be the market leader in smart airspace security. Um, so everyone thinks of the drones and the devices. We want to make sure that, um, that we protect people, property, and information from the threat of drones while enabling, you know, the good drones to, to take off. So that's that's our charter, our mission, and our vision. Very cool. Very cool. And um, so you're a new hire. What, um, what are some of the things that you've been asked to take on as a chief people officer at the, in this burgeoning field at this company? Yeah, I mean the company's it's it's great. The company's doing really well. And with growth comes some, I think, natural challenges and pressure. Mm-hmm things that happen to an organization at certain inflection points. Um, And so AD, our CEO, um, brought me in um, to really think about what we're going to need 18 months from now, 24 months from now, um, while still getting the day-to-day stuff run. And so, you know, when you grow really fast, you know, you tend to grow in silos. You know, it goes from a company of 20 or 30 people who can all collaborate together. But then when you start to add more and more people, you know, people work in their departments and, and, you know, you're not collaborating as much. So we have to figure out, and what I've been asked to do is figure out what's, when are the inflections point, what, when are these inflection points happening? Mm-hmm. Organizational challenges are they going to create? And how do we start to think about, you know, hitting them off of the pass, right? We've all seen the story before where you have a company that has a great product, a great team, they're well-funded, and they can't pivot and transition through these inflection points um, because of, you know, what got us here won't get us there. All these, you know, cliches that 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 people say. Um, so I've been really been brought in to kind of help figure that out. And that that's going to show up, I think, in a, in a number of different ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whenever, you know, whenever you join a fast growing startup, when I was at Industrious or Hinge, um, even Emotive um, in the beginning, it's always about hiring, right? How are we going to hire the best people? And we've got you know, we, we're, we're successful and we want to bring in all these roles. And, you know, with that comes all these other things you have to think about too. So yeah. I think thinking about it really holistically and not just who are we hiring or what leadership programs are we doing? I think you have to have a really integrated talent and people strategy to, to hit those inflection points, you know, head on. I have been, I can't even tell you how many times I've been asked, um, how do you scale a culture? It seems to be one of these wicked problems that folks 
are surprised by. And so I'm pleased to hear that um, the CEO is has that vision for it, right? And that's really important. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The way I like to think about it is, you know, if you heard it say, heard this said before, and I say, you're going to have a culture, it's whether you choose to manage it or not. Exactly. Um, (laughs) And so let's make the choice to actively manage it. And everyone thinks that it's a vibe, right? And, you know, (laughs) right. Vibe. It's, you know, we offer lunches every day for our employees, or we have, you know, a beer pong tournament in the warehouse after work and, you know, all these different things. And that's, that is not what culture is. I think that's what your employee, your employer experience could be or your workplace experience, but it definitely isn't culture. And so I think that what I like to do is always start with with any leadership team um, that I've worked with is to really define what it is. And a lot of this role, and I think a lot of people that are in this role, a lot of our job is education on what culture is and what it isn't and educating the team and the and the company that you can manage this really well and this is why we're doing these things right like mm-hmm. we have a compensation philosophy of x because we're trying to drive y right or we have a performance management process that we do you know in twice a year versus once a year and this is why because it's going to drive this type of behaviors and so i always like to anchor in a common language a way to talk about it and so that everyone's clear about the words because that's where I think it goes off the rails first is people mm-hmm. use words interchangeably. People use culture to, to really define a whole set of things. And culture is actually something very specific. Um, there's a definition by Carolyn Taylor from, um, and I think she borrowed it from someone uh, about what culture is. And it's um, the patterns or behaviors that you allow or don't allow over time, right? It's, it's, it's truly how you begin to operate. Yeah. That's great. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you what are the words that you use. Um, I like to uh, dial in or really point to um, choices and decisions. So cause and effect of decisions that organizations make, right? And to me, that that tends to anchor people in. Oh, wait a minute. You're talking about how everybody acts regardless of what role they're in or what it might be. So I think we're on the we're on the same page. And you are at this uh, key inflection, one of those inflection points, right? You you shared that there's um, D-Drone has 150 employees and growing. And um, that to me is, that's what I have discovered as well. There's sort of, um, I borrow from uh, Dun, Dunbar, Dunbar's number of like uh, 150 is kind of the limit, but mostly in organizations between 50 and 100 is really where those silos start to, to start to create um, because of relationships and the limitations of our, the energy that we have, right? Yeah, I would say, and I, I think the other thing that I would say is critical from the beginning of any culture journey is the role that leaders play in it. Um, you know, I, I always say a CEO casts a long shadow, but as the organization gets bigger, <clears throat> that shadow isn't able. So you have to really, really, you know, hire and create expectations around your leadership teams and your managers mm. on how they are actually the biggest impact to what culture you're going to have, right? Because when you can get everyone in one room and the CEO can say, you know, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. This is how we're going to show up. Um, that's easy, right? It's as you get bigger that it, that's what makes it really hard to scale culture. And if you don't bring in the next level down and the next level down and ask them to be the people that drive the culture, 
um, it's it's going to fail. It's going to be, I always say it's going to be words on a wall, right? We've all, we all seen it. I think Enron had integrity and it's, that's right, and it's of course. Value statement. you know, that's, you know, it doesn't mean anything unless it's, it's lived and, and kind of managed, like I said, every day. And you do that through, through great managers and great leaders. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you have a very holistic um, view, which I appreciate and probably it was hard one. Let's rewind the clock a little bit. When did you first realize um, the importance of culture? Was there a moment that you can call on and earlier in your career that you're like, oh my gosh, this is all just fell apart because whatever it might be. You know, I think I'm, I think I am like a classic, like consumer. I was a classic consumer of a, of cultures in my career. Like you kind of knew it, like when you worked at different places, like, oh, this is the way this place operates, or this is the way this place operates, or this is what's allowed here. And, 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 and you kind of know that that what, that's what the culture is. You just didn't know the name for it. And you didn't know why it was the way it was. Right. I would say it wasn't until I went to health first. And, and, and interestingly enough, I didn't grow up in HR. I don't have an HR background. Um, I spent 10 years of my career at Harvard Business School Publishing. I was in consulting um, and I worked with a lot of companies and I always knew the companies that I really loved working with. And um, and, and, I, and looking back now, I know why, because they had really strong cultures that were you know, high performing and that they were um, you know, just really good cultures. Um, it wasn't until I went to Health First and I worked for um, the Chief Human, Resource, Chief Human Resource Officer there, Sean Kane, who he was, I would say, more visionary. He peek around corners with 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 culture stuff. He's he's been talking about this for, you know, before it was for as popular, um, and he had a very strong point of view on it. And I was I was doing a consulting project there, and he said. You know, after we worked together for a couple months, he says, "Why don't you come in and run organizational effectiveness?" And I said, "I don't. I'm not HR." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Exactly." He's like, "I want someone that comes from the business side that this stuff we can we can really make sure." And and that's the other thing. If it's not geared towards and managed towards what the business outcomes are, it just becomes an HR thing, right? It just becomes this thing that the people yeah. team doing that that HR team is doing versus, you know, versus coming from the business. And so that was my first foray, foray into it and just learning from him and actually, um, you know, doing a series. I was there for, I think, over six years where we defined the culture that we needed. We were very intentional about what we needed. And we did that based on what the strategy was of the organization. And that's always the first step is can mm. everyone in the company clearly articulate what our strategy is or what our common goal is. And if not, you have to start there. And then we asked ourselves, okay, if our goal, you know, at the time to be the preeminent health plan in our market by 2020, <laughs> this is going back to 2013 or 2014, if everyone didn't understand that we had to align everyone. And then we had to ask ourselves, what are the things that we have to preserve that that make us unique and competitive in the market, but what are the things that we need to start introducing, right? And so it became this company-wide like way of defining the culture that we need. And we came out with these five culture drivers. Um, I probably mm. could remember them off the top of my head, but you know, there were things like dream big, plan wisely. And that was to capture the essence of this organization that had done amazing things in healthcare for 20 years. But what we didn't do a great job of was planning and, and you know, and, and, and along the way. And so that culture driver reflected those types of behaviors of preserving something that was really unique and special, but also making space for new ways of operating. Um, so that was really, I'd say when I first got it. Um, and then since then, that's when I've, I pivoted my career to say, no, I actually want to do this, yeah. you know, 
whole time and because I can see the impact that it has. Um, and it's not an initiative and it's not a program. It is a multi-year journey um, that requires, you know, a lot of things. And, you know, um, actually the CEO, Justin McLeod of Hinge said, he, he challenged me when I was at Hinge to say, I want you to think about your work almost like you're putting a product out there right? Like how does product get developed? And are you doing your research? And are you, you know, understanding what the user needs are? <laughs> and are you testing and, you know, and all, all that type of stuff. So um, yep. to think about it in that way. I love that. It's, um, I feel like you've been reading, reading from, from my notes, or maybe I've been reading from yours. <laughs> um, I love, I, I, when you were talking about those culture drivers, to me, they sound like, or at least the way that I think about values where you're able to establish three to five, the most important behaviors that you want to start to incentivize. Yeah. Is that, is that how you thought about them or was that the values were different? No, we, our cult, our values were how we operated. Right. And I've seen different models where some people have, you know, values and then tenants or culture yeah. tenants. Yeah. Um, you know, what at Hinge they had, um, like basically we call them table stakes, like no matter what the company was doing or what the strategy was, there were these three things, three that all employees, we wanted all employees to have. And that was authenticity, courage, and empathy, right? Culture is, if it is a direct correlation and, and, and if it is in service of your strategy, your culture has to change as your strategy does, yep. right? So as yep. we talked about, like, if your culture is one thing for 50 people and you're not looking at it, if you're, if you're going multi-product and if you're a one product company going multi-product, that changes the dynamics of a company. If you're going in an office, multiple offices, right? Like as, as the business changes and as, as your market opportunity changes, as your customers change, all of that stuff, if you are not pressure testing your values against them, how you operate, um, then, then you're kind of doing a disservice and you're using this old way of operating. And so you should have those things that are, that are table stakes and true and enduring. And almost, I call it like the mm. soul of the company, mm. but the values become a direct response to what you're trying to achieve. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel like there's a lot of, there are many organizations and many of them kind of, I would say old guard organizations that think about their values as um, immutable. Um, they have to be exactly what they've always been. And I think it's, um, honestly, I think it's a waste because like you said, it needs, they need to shift. And, and I believe that companies need to look every two to three years at their, at their values and say, what is it we're focusing on? Because there's only so many like uh, frameworks or tenants that an, an employee can absorb. Yeah. No, it's true. And that's why I think to my earlier point, right? Like language is important and defining what are, if we're going to use values in this way, let's use values in this way. If we're going to use culture in this way, let's use, but just what we have to be consistent because it can, you know, it can create so much confusion and chaos and, mm. you know, assumption pointing or, you know, across get clear, yeah, you have to be very clear. And I think it's, I think you, the way I like to think about it is strategic planning and culture work have to be tied together. So as you're doing your strategic planning, your value kind of review should be done as part of that process. Yep. You know, it yep. goes, you know, hand in hand with, with that. Um, I want to go back to what you said before, because it occurred to me that it's not something that I've talked about a lot and I'm, and, but I think it's really important, which is um, how does X cause Y? Mm-hmm. Um, because often it will be, Hey, um, you might call up here. What's the best uh, recognition program? Best way to recognize people, or hey, what's the best way to do X, Y, and Z? You know, whatever it might be. And 
what you're describing is that there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of best practices, but I don't feel like enough people are thinking about the outcome that they want. I wonder if you could, in the context of culture, are you able to, were you, are you able to describe, um, since you've been, we have this, we have this incredible opportunity. You've been at a lot of different organizations. Are you able to describe the kind of culture that maybe some of these organizations had and how they were different? And, and therefore we could kind of have a then conversation about how you drive that in a different way, right? I think the classic is sort of like, are you innovative or are you efficient, right? Those are very different things. It's, yeah, I would say, you know, it, it's, it, everything comes down to context, right? When you are, you know, at the time, a $12 billion health insurance company in New York City serving, you know, the, the most vulnerable population, that's very different than a co-working company like industrious or a dating app, you know, one, you know, you go from a real estate product, a health insurance to a real estate product, to an app, to a SaaS company, you know, there's just inherent uniqueness to the challenges that they face. Right. Um, I would say, um, you know, a, a very large health insurance company, it's, it's very much driven by you're regulated. Right. And so you've, there's, there's yep. that thing limitations that it puts on you. Um, you've got a bunch of legacy systems, you know, that you have to figure out how your technology is going to evolve. You move at a much different pace than let's say, um, you know, an app that, that, you know, features and functions get moved all the time, right? So the speed in which an organization moves impacts it, the markets that you serve, the products that you have um, are, is also very different. The way I like to think about it is I always like to say, you know, how are you going to win in the market? Because I, I, I'll say this, you can replicate a business plan. You can replicate yep. a product. Yep. You can always get access to money and capital, maybe not as much as you used to, um, you know, but the one thing that you can't actually copy and replicate is a company culture. Sing it, sister. <laughs> Sing it. Oh my God. So if you look at it as the thing that makes you unique, and if you actually look at your culture as a competitive advantage, you have to say, how are we going to win in the market, right? What are the things that we need to win in the market? And so I, there's a hotel chain that I love that is well-known for customer service, right? Well, guess, I, I guess what? How they source their candidates, the interview questions that they ask, how they onboard folks, how, how they do performance management, how they pay and reward, how they promote, you know, promote folks. It's all through the lens of the outcomes of customers, Right. So when you when you are hiring, they ask you assessment questions and interview questions on your propensity to be customer focused. Right. The onboarding experience is all through the lens of a customer. Right. In your performance review plans, um, you get assessed. There's a whole index on on how how well you serve the customer. Now, if you're an HR, what who is your customer? <laughs> it's everybody else. So there's you know, there's ways you have to manipulate it. You know, you look at a company that we everyone everyone talks about companies like Goldman or McKinsey and and you know a lot of the the, the consulting and, and the big mm -hmm. finance firms, they are achievement cultures, right? They pay very differently than than companies that are trying to foster team, you know, teamwork. They're achievement cultures, they pay top of market, they recruit, you know, from very specific, you know, places. And, and it's just because that's the outcomes that they need for the products that they sell and that they put in the market versus, mm -hmm. let's say, a hotel chain who they win in the market through being focused on the customer and then designing the entire employee life cycle through that lens. One of the 
One of the um, areas that I'd love to get your opinion on is, and I love this idea of winning in the market. I think that's a great frame, right? Let's start from that point because you can answer it all sorts of different ways. And then you also said, well, in HR, your customer is everybody inside the company, right? How do you- like that. I, I, I hate when it's like, you're the support, like, cause there's different, you know, organizational models where it's like, Oh, the support functions, finance. Yeah. H- yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, it's not, you know, we are actually part of the business. Um, <laughs> another lesson that I learned when at my time at health first. And so yeah. I say we're, um, kind of loosely because I, that is a little bit of a hot button for me. I appreciate that. I love it. I love I love hitting the hot hot buttons. We can get some uh, real real good answers. I'm curious about larger organizations and how they how the culture from of different parts of the organization are different from one another. And is there do you have um, an observation about how each of them can? can set their own context, right? I don't know that, um, I mean, I, I don't know, would you say, I mean, I guess in sales, it would be, uh, you know, how can we win? That's kind of traditional, but in HR, I don't know. It's like, how do we win with this in this company? I don't know what that might be. So w- what is your thoughts about the differences, the differences between the department, the cultures of larger organizations and how do you frame it in that same way? Cause that's so clarifying for the yeah. organization at large. Well, I think, I think the win is defined by how the company wins, right? And so if it's a big company and you've got a share price that you're trying to drive for, you know, shareholders, winning is that's your outcome. And then, and then you have to back into that, right? So what that means for HR is not my internal customers, how Mm we as X company win in the market is by saying our share price has to do this. You know, we need this amount of revenue. What does that mean for sales? What does that mean for product? What does that mean for here? What's the type of HR and people function do we need to be in order to drive that, right? Because you are all a part of it. And I think when you separate some of these other business units, it's it's not in support of, it's actually in service of. Mm. That okay. is clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, so one click further, the question I, question I often get, and I would love your um, take on it is how do I build the culture of my team if the larger organization or my leaders don't buy into it? They don't, they're not aligned. They're not, that's not what they're focused on. How might you recommend advise? I think you have to be very, you have to be, you have to understand what you can control and what you can't control within an organization as a leader, right? So you may not be able to say, I want to give everyone raises, you know, and pay them X, you know, and have this compensation philosophy that is outside of what, you know, the company is doing. It just, it, some, in a lot of cases can't happen. That's right. Um, so understanding what you have the ability to control and what you don't have the ability to control is, is critical. That's first. Right. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you can be a great leader, Right. And I think um, in spite of an organization around you that doesn't maybe value it. And I think you do that through um, in the absence of having a, a consistent and clear culture of a bigger organization, you can kind of create your own, but then you're going to have separate cultures. And that's when that's when companies just don't do well. Like I, I'm a big believer that you have to have one. 
right? You can have rituals and you can have, you know, different, you know, things of ways, you know, ways you do things and, you know, you know, ways that you communicate maybe a little bit different on different teams, but the expectations that you have should be consistent. And so Mm. a leader like that, I would say control what you can. And in those things that you can control, set the example of how it should be. And you'd be really surprised. And I've seen this happen a number of times um, where, you know, someone comes in, they're a great leader. They set, you know, they create their own, you know, expectations for their employees in the absence of it. They do, they start mm-hmm. doing performance reviews in the absence of the company doing mm-hmm. it. And you know, all of a sudden they're performing really well. And everyone around is like, what are you, what are you doing over there? You know, exactly. how do I get some of that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, and so I think it's leading by example and that's sometimes hard to do, but you have a, you do have control over, you know, how you operate, what the expectations you have of your team, how you grow and develop your team. You know, if you can't change their compensation, maybe it's a job, you know, rotation, maybe it's, it's, it's one of these things that yep. you can do as your leader to grow and develop them. Love um, it. Yeah. Great. 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 All right. So um, I like to wrap up our conversations with uh, a question about a win or a fail that you have learned from something that is just kind of a big moment, uh, a a mark, you know, something that you remember, whether because it was good or bad and what you learned from it that we could learn that my, that uh, that all of our listeners can learn from. I think I'll start with the fail. Well, there's a lot, you know, it's funny when you (laughs) There's, you know, and it's like, you just refine yourself as you, as you get yeah, better. Of course. You never arrive anyway. So we're always, we're always trying to improve. Yep, yep. Um, I think for me, when I first, as I mentioned, right, when I first moved into the people HR space, I didn't have an HR background. And so I made a lot of, I think, classic mistakes that um, I think I see a lot of HR folks make is they know what the answer is. And they're just like, here's the answer. Just do it. You know, like. And when you're a consultant, you're going to be getting paid for people to tell you're you're paid to tell them what to do. Yeah, you know they listen because <laughs> yeah, they're paying you. <laughs> when you're internal and you're like, "This is we have to launch this," and this is what it the the amount of and I think I touched on this before the amount of work you have to do. And this is where I failed. You know, when I first was at Health First, I was like, I had this great idea for a leadership program. And I, I had it all in my head and I mapped it out and I had a project plan and I just like, isn't this the greatest thing ever? And then there are questions about it. People wanted to say in the content. I, and I was so deflated because in my mind, it's like, I knew it, I knew the answer and everyone else just didn't get it. And it was like, oh, that's, that's a, that's a really challenging place to be. Cause you don't want to be that person. Number one, you know, like your job is to say, all right, I've gone down this path. I understand this. Right let me go back and bring people along in that journey. And I think the biggest thing is stakeholder management, to be quite honest with anything that you want to do in culture. Um, You know, like we can, like we can sit here and and we can talk for hours about techniques and ways to do it and how this company does and that company does it and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the ways to, to impact culture, but if you do not have that stakeholder management and you do not have people that are your partners in this, that you bring them along, you talk to them about it, you know, a lot of the stuff is done over coffee or, you know, a drink after work. And you just, you have to be the biggest educator in the company of what it is, why it matters and how you want to approach it, you know? And then once you do that, then you start to get a little bit more ability to, to start demonstrating, you know, how, how it works and, and why it works and, and all that stuff. So you've got to be a bit fearless, um, you know, know, that like I always say, I always say in in this role, like I want to be like the 
favorite history teacher that everyone had in high school. It's like at the time you're like, oh, this is so annoying. But then when you leave here, you're like, wow, I learned how to manage and I learned how to do, <laughs> how to do these things. Um, so I think I, I, I tried to launch a few things early in my, my, you know, when I was doing culture work mm. that I think. I didn't have the buy-in and I didn't do the stakeholder management piece that was so critical up front. And that's mm-hmm. definitely that I learned from and, you know, really, really pay attention. I'll put a lot of thought and attention into how I spend my time there now with my colleagues and, and peers and things. That's um, the hard, that's the hard work. That's to me, that's of course, right? Like I have, the, I have all these brilliant ideas, you know, it's like, I know what the answer is, but do that it. Doesn't, it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, one of the, um, anybody who has uh, li- listened to me, you know, speak or read the book or whatever understands that the thing that I share the most, um, the sort of the super secret, you know, maybe not so secret, but the most effective tool is um, recruiting culture ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And that's how we get, um, we get the executive team to nominate high potentials or culture ambassadors so that they have the kind of approval or charter of the leadership team. And then they can come back and present because who the hell am I as a consultant from the outside? Yeah. Right. Well, that's, we've, we've done, I've done culture committees. There is one at, we had one at health first. We had one at industrious. We had one at hinge. We have one at motive and we're going to be starting one here. And what I would add to that is not only they're the, not only include the people that get it and will be advocates for it, including some of the um, the people that don't get it and are mm. a little bit on the fence. Because if you put them in a, in the center of this work, right, and if you manage your committee really well, you start to get a lot, a lot. Oh, you get better insights as to what's going to work and what's not. You know what I mean? Like it's a really, it's a, and then, and then surveying and really listening to the employees on how you're doing on this, but always having those voices in the room of people that are less farther, farther along on the journey as part of your committee that you're going to get the best feedback to have things that are designed and, you know, impactful to, to the organization. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's something that I'm, I, uh, I'm taking away from this conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> This has been um, really incredible. Uh, Sarah Devitt, uh, Chief People Officer of D-Drone, D-E-D-R-O-N-E.com, correct? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, And uh, I really appreciate your time and energy um, and your wisdom here. This has been phenomenal. And I I feel... um, I feel a kinship because there's a lot of things that you're saying and you're just sort of rounding out some of my knowledge. So thank you for educating me and um, sharing with, uh, with the audience here. I appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to greatmondays.com slash radio. We'd love to hear from you. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcasts app or podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to make sure to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders, subscribe to Great Mondays Radio. And I'd love to connect with you. Find me on LinkedIn at aka Josh Levine, on YouTube at Great Mondays, and you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. 
find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations, or grab a copy of our book at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.